someone can maybe get that light switch for us. Thanks, Lo. Some of you might remember something that happened towards the end of last year at the last service. Um, I was almost late for church. So we were, I was coming up in Rania Street and um, I do have this habit of putting my phone in my boot because otherwise I work on it while I drive and I really don't want to do that. And so, but, but then you know how we are. So, like, sometimes there's some things that are really important, and you know, like, if you're going to lose this 15 minutes, then it's going to be really hard, so then you want to send a voice note while you drive, and you know you shouldn't, but then you do anyway. And so I was that guy. And um, I looked to my left at the robot while I was sending the voice note, and there was a traffic officer right next to me, and, I mean, he didn't have any other choice than to say, well, you know. So then I got pulled over, and I was standing there right next to the road half an hour before church starts. I was just thinking the whole church is probably driving by. Like, <clears throat> hello, brother. Hello, sister. I, I got a word for this officer. I'm just, I'm just praying for him. <clears throat> I'll be with you now in all holiness. Um. But I want to just read a scripture and close that matter because I do believe it's an important matter. It was a wonderful, it was, it was a wonderful experience for me. Hebrews 13, 1 to 4. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Remember the authority that was in place when this was written was a terrible Roman authority. So it wasn't like they had great authority and we have terrible authority. And so because we've got terrible authority, we don't have to listen. They didn't have great authority either. Okay? So I, I don't think there is great authority, governing authority in the world. It's not easy to find. Let me just say that. But that's not the point. And that doesn't change the scripture. It was written in such a context. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And when I put in those, those brackets with the three dots, then it means that there's a few verses that is not included in this reading. So you can go read it if you want. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For the rulers do not bear those electricity devices that print fines in vain. They are God's servant, agents of wrath for bringing punishment on the wrongdoer. And I can say that the moment that I was pulled over and I climbed out of the car, I just, this, it was a holy moment. And I know of so many people that in such a moment will react in such a bad way. Almost as if, like, I know I'm wrong, but still, I think some of you more wrong than me. And somehow, like, this is unfair, and somehow this is ridiculous, and somehow this whole admin process now is going to take so long. Blah, blah, blah. Just not having a submissive attitude to what's happening can have you miss what God wants to do in that very moment. And that is, for me, it was to bring the fear of God over me for driving with my phone and working on it. 
something that I've been, let's say, struggling with. And I experienced the fear of God, and I experienced that man to be God's servant. It was like I was working with a, like a direct servant of God. I just knew this was, was in the fear of God, having to honor this man and receive what God is doing. Receive. It was like I was receiving a sermon. I was standing there, drinking it all in, saying, thank you, Jesus, that you're instilling this into my heart, that this is God's servant for my good. And he used that discipline to break my rebellion. And now, I, I, it's different. It's different. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to do it anymore. Even when my phone's with me in the car, I haven't done it since. It feels different. It's just different. Something changed. It's wonderful if you just respond and receive the word of God in such an instance like this and not, not rebel against it. Um, what a beautiful thing it can bring into our hearts. So, um, just wanted to close that matter and not have us miss, miss this point in an environment where we so often start going down the slippery slope of being very um, rebellious against the authorities that God institutes because they don't always do that well. Are you with me? Okay. So don't get caught in that. That's this is the sermon now. That was not the sermon. That was just that. Um, do you see God as humble? Do you see God as humble? <laughs> it's an interesting, interesting concept really, because we, we see ourselves as having to be humble because we're not, that, we're not really that great. But then God is really that great. So can he be humble? It's not an easy concept, but I, you know as well as I do that Jesus told us and said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I'm gentle and humble in heart. And the word of God says that he is a perfect representation of the Father, so the, the Father is humble. But what does that mean? And I can say, and I'm going to try to explain a, f a little bit of that this morning, because there's, there's a few, there, there are a few things that get me to want to bow down more to God than moments I encounter His humility. It's, it's unbelievable. You're like, no way can you be this humble. It's like when you would work at a massive retailer of South Africa and you see someone cleaning the store, packing in the shelves, and you can't make out who it is because it's got a hat and glasses on, and then after a while you realize it's the CEO. The amount of respect you would get for that person in that moment, not showing off the fact that he's doing it, but just being there serving, would be immense, wouldn't it? There would be a sense of awe. And so it's almost that thing when there are moments when I'm confronted with the fact that God is humble and I almost can't believe that he'd be humble. And it brings me to my knees. And so speaking about the fact that he's humble, I want to make sure that it exalts him. Because that's what it does in my heart. It's not an easy or light thing to me. So I want to just say that out front. Many people say we shouldn't speak about God as being humble, but I do believe we should see something 
beautiful in that to acknowledge what he said. I expect him to be to be powerful because he is, but I almost my human mind don't expect him to be humble. That's humble, that's humility. To redeem <coughs> I think it's a word that can have a lot of different meanings, but I mean to redeem something is to turn something that was something bad good. To redeem something, to make something bad good. That's the one thing. The other thing is to claim or reclaim something by paying a specific price. Um, that's what redeem, you can define it in a lot of ways. I think this is a reasonable definition. And, and so we know, and this is all just the introduction, just to get us on the, one, on the same page that we're going to read a great portion of, of Scripture and see something. But Christ is the humble redeemer. He said he's humble and he's our redeemer. And because he paid the ultimate price to reclaim us, us whom he made, and his image that was his, walked away, he allowed us to, he reclaimed us by paying the ultimate price so that we can be one with him again, and he makes us righteous, what is bad, he makes, he makes good, so he's the redeemer. He redeems us, he redeems things, he redeems us. One of his characteristics is to redeem things that is, was terrible, make it good. We sometimes just want to forget about the fact that something was terrible, Error, but somehow God is comfortable to inhabit those, those spaces much more than what we are. And so Christ is humble. Christ is our redeemer. But Christ is the perfect representation of the Father. If we, we, we can see God throughout all the ages being this humble redeemer. And I want you to see something this morning. Um, like I said, I don't make light of the fact of Speaking about God as being humble, I do believe that he wants me to say that, um, as, he, as he also also did. We're going to, to read a portion of scripture for this morning. Most of it will be 1 Samuel 8. Most of the chapter, I'll first read it and then I'll start working through it and we'll, we'll get somewhere and go somewhere. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You're old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Now appoint to us a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not that they have rejected, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me, serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. 
He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. And then he lists a lot of stuff that this king will claim, and he will take, and he will do, and he'll almost be like slaves, and he'll take your property, and he, he will do whatever he wants. The kind of the cost that comes with having one, and what a bad king might do when he abuses its offers. So then it says, when that day comes, you will cry out from relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. What an incredibly interesting story. What an incredibly interesting story where there's an interaction between God and his people. I want you to see a few things. You might see a few things that I don't see. But there's incredible things that's locked up in here. So let's work through it from the beginning. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. So the first thing to just note here is that... Um, Hereditary leadership, so that your son leads after you, was not a thing in Israel at all up until that up until that stage. They had Moses and Joshua, who wasn't Moses' son; he was more or less his disciple. Um, and then after that, they had all the judges, of which Samuel was the last judge. And so they were not always wonderful people, but they were people God chose in a specific season to lead Israel in a specific way. Um, and they weren't kings at all. They weren't, they didn't live in Greek palaces and have all the things that kings particularly have. They were leaders chosen for a specific purpose and their children didn't become kings. It wasn't like that at all. So, 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 so part of what goes wrong here is actually maybe a little bit also Samuel's. He's adding to the issue here by making his own sons the next leaders or Judges, the other translation would say judges. So he appointed his son as judges. Now we don't hear that God said he should, and we don't see anything like that happening before he did it. So not the best idea. And of course, also not because they were not, their characters weren't that great, it seems. So they didn't do a great job. But note that the whole hereditary leadership thing was not a thing yet in Israel. Until then. Now, after that, what happens when they see, okay, stuff is going wrong. These leaders are doing a bad thing. They come to the prophet. When the people go to a prophet in those days, what they were to do, what they did is go to the prophet and say, ask God, what should we do? And then God will tell and we will do. That is the, that's how it works. So all of, the, all of the good kings would do that. They would inquire and then God would speak and then they would act. But here we've got the people going to the prophet 
It's acting like that God, saying to the prophet what he should do, like God would usually tell him what he should do. And they say, give us a king. They're not keen to listen to God and his plan for this bad situation. They've got their own plan. And their plan doesn't come from anything they've learned from God, but it comes from what they have seen in the nations. Now, if you are a prophet like Stefani, you would irk when someone tells you, I've seen something in the world and I want it to be done that way. Let's do it the world's way. Okay? So that's what, they, that's what they're saying. So I can imagine Samuel being incredibly displeased with this thing. And I also don't understand the logic they have because the first time ever that hereditary leadership is now being tried is Samuel with his sons. And it's a terrible failure because you can't approve of your son's characters. It just doesn't work. But now they want that. Now they want a new king whose sons will rule for the years to come. Who knows what they would be like, okay? Doesn't make sense. But the ways of the world doesn't make sense, but everybody else is doing it. So, hey, sounds like a good idea. So, Prophets not happy that they want what the other nations have. Next slide. So we can see that it displeased Samuel. Other translation or the more direct translation said the thing was evil in Samuel's eyes. He could discern their hearts. He could say he could see this is not a, this is not godly wisdom. This, this this is they who want to be like the others. So it's evil. And he said. Um, um, and he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said, well, listen to all they are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. The Israels are different from all the other nations because they have God as their king. God even calls when he appoints Saul as the first king, he says, you will be prince over Israel. Because I'm, I'm the king. He speaks to David, as we said last year, you remember that? So when he speaks to David, when he speaks to David, he speaks to him as, as my prince over Israel. Because he's the king of Israel. But they want a king, someone they can call king. So they've rejected God as being their king. And so God's response here is interesting. He says, they've rejected me. Now, I want you to warn them how bad this is going to be and then allow them to have what they want. This is more or less what God does to us as well. He does not, go, he does not move away from the fact that he gives us free will. He does warn us about the fact that he's got dire consequences. He does warn us and then it's kind of like he, maybe not the right word, but he, he honors what we choose. And allows the consequences of that to continue. But the beautiful thing of God is he does not step out of that boat. As we would have often done. If we tell people if you do that thing this is going to happen. So I think you shouldn't do that. And then they do it. And then we go I told you so. And we, t uh, we look at it from a distance. How this thing is going up in flames because I told you so. I want you to see today that God doesn't do that. He does warn. He does allow consequences. He does allow your free will. But he doesn't walk away and say, I told you so. He doesn't do that. 
So in this portion, obviously, you've, we've got a Samuel that's upset for quite a few reasons. Some of it is his own insecurities because his own sons are being rejected and his lineage isn't, isn't, isn't good enough, but also because he's a prophet and he, can, he knows this should not be <laughs> what should happen. Um, so then, they warns, and the, the expression to warn them solemnly in that case is a legal term that actually warns you of the legal consequences, the actual consequences of your actions. It's, 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 it's a very um, expression, intentional way of saying what will happen. Um, and all those things actually did happen at some stage during the rule of the kings in Israel. So, then, uh, I mean, there's a terrible thing at the end, then it sounds terrible. It's like when you cry out for a leaf um, from the king you've chosen, the Lord will not answer you in that day. That sounds rough, okay? But God will allow us to have the consequences of what we choose. He will allow us to have the consequences of what we choose. He will. His mercy isn't always in the fact that he intervenes and then when we see we've messed up and it starts hurting us, we don't want it anymore and then we run away and then he must come and fix it. No, he allows the full consequence. But all the while, and I'm going to show you this, all the while, God has been working at redeeming the mess that you've made without you even knowing it. And he doesn't need to go and tell you, I've been busy solving out your problems. Just wait and see. No, he does it in secret. He does it in quiet. He gets into your messy boat and he works out the issues and, you, and, and, and he, he creates a more beautiful plan than what you could have ever imagined to the extent that you would at the end say, I think God planned this thing all along. Have, ever, have you ever had a horrible experience that ended up in that? I would want to argue that I don't think it was God necessarily all along. I just think he's really good with us. Because here Israel's rejecting them. And you'll see now what happens. An utter rejection of God. We want someone to fight our battles. God has been fighting all of their battles from Egypt out of Egypt with miracles through all the kings and things and the walls of Jericho and manna and, and quail and fire by night and clouds by day. And it's unbelievable that they're saying we want a man to fight our battles. That's an utter rejection of what he has done. I would have felt very sorry for myself if I was God. God like, he, he, this is unbelievable. This is a, how can they dishonor me in this way? I'm going to quit. Yet he does not. What does, what does God do? Then he says, listen to them and give them a king. Okay, so now at this point you can say, okay, he's giving them a king and he's probably going to back away and just see how it all explodes and tell them I told you so. No. No. At this point, the whole Biblical narrative changes completely. And God allows it. And he doesn't only just allow it. He gets into it. He gets into it. Can you believe it? That he would get into this thing that we have chosen. Into this sin. He doesn't distance himself from it. 
Note they never repent of this act that God, that God grants. I think rather than I told you so attitude, he has a, I can work my love for you perfectly even through your rebellious choices attitude. And I think sometimes we think, just hold on, you're going to see something. And I think you've seen a few things already, but you're going to see something. But sometimes we think when something has started with off roots or ungodly decisions or dreadful sin was the birth of this thing, that it's doomed because it started real bad and in sin. Now, show me something that didn't start real bad. Sometimes we just think it was real awesome, but still there's a lot of us in there. Even if we think we heard God and started something. Things are always blemished at best. At worst, they're rebellious. So, I want to say to us charismatic people, if something was off roots or it was ungodly or it started in the wrong way, that doesn't mean that God will not get into it fully and make it look like he planned it from the start. Okay? Just hold on. He inhabits our mess. Now God continues and he even chooses a king. Very smart move right here. They want a king like the nations. So the first thing, the first king God gives them is the king like the nations. It's incredible. He gives them Saul. He says there was a there was a man who was very rich, and he had a son who was more handsome than anyone in Israel. He was, he, was, he, he was taller than anyone in Israel. He looked like the king the world would want to have. So the first king, God said, okay, you asked for a king like the nation, so I'm going to give you a king like the nations. So that thing, that thing bombed out very quickly because a king like the nations then isn't exactly what you want because it ends up in ruins. And then he chooses David. Interesting, it's more for us to see than for them. I, I don't think they could see it at, at that stage. But for us, we can see, okay, God, you chose the first one for them according to what they wanted. And the second one, you said, I don't look like, I don't see as man sees. I, see, I, I look at the heart and he chose David. And he says, now this lineage is the one that I will use. Can you believe that God is now saying, God said, we know that God said he will use the lineage of the kings, which was actually as uh, action that it, it was a rebellious action by the Israelites to reject God as their king. God now says, I will use this thing. I will inhabit your mess. So, you have to realize this. The narrative to that point, it changes so much that because God accepts this rejection of him. We've got, we've got the book of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 King, 2 King, 1 Chronicle, 2 Chronicle, part of the canon of the Bible, of the eternal word of God. We only have it because he accepted his rejection as their king and decided to use it. He used kings to write the book of Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs. He used these kings, these, these people, the, the people wanted to replace him. He used them to write some of the most beautiful things that we have. Almost half of the Old Testament 
is written because he jumped into the narrative where he was actually being rejected to redeem it. We would have probably written it off because it wasn't our idea. And our idea, I mean, if we are all human, then my idea, even though I think it's much better than yours, probably isn't. But I mean, if it's God versus people, of course his idea is better. Yet he goes with ours. Yes, he, he goes with that one and, and writes history accordingly. And he's happy to do that. To have that be part of his word forevermore. And to get so involved that when you think of the kings, you think your first thought is it was, it was all God's idea. It had to be God. Because we know that, that, I mean, years later, it was prophesied that the Messiah would come through the line of David. The Messiah, the one who would save Israel and the world would come through the line of these kings that you wanted and I gave them to you, rejecting me as your king. He, God, God decides to work his work of eternal salvation through that broken act of rebellion. And in Jeremiah, we read just an example of that. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David, a righteous branch with capital. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And, his, and, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness, which was fulfilled in Christ. This is the Messiah. This is a, so we know, and there are many scriptures, but we know that the Messiah should come through David. How? Incredible, a God that would work his salvation, his plan, through our plan. And so, you see, he, apart from being that humble that he doesn't elevate he, he's happy. He's, he's happy to, to not say, I told you so, and I'm awesome, and you should have listened to me. He's happy to, in silence, work at redeeming the mess that we have caused, even if we're only going to see it in a couple of hundred years. He's happy with that. And he continues working through this, and when Jesus comes, he, he further adds this humble Narrative, And by that time, the lineage of kingship wasn't very clear anymore because they were all out into exile and everything was a mess. So there, were, there wasn't, the king wasn't there anymore. And so no one would have recognized someone born in the lineage, really. And there was no palace. There was no, there was no, no, there, there was no grandeur. So when Jesus was born, I think God smiled and said, I'm going to have him be born in a manger, not in, in a Alice. But I'm going to prove to you that he is the king in the bloodline of David. I'm going to, in the book of Matthew, I will, I will show you that through his father's line, he goes back to David. His father adopted him because he wasn't of his father's seed. So 
adopted legacy goes to David. His mother is a biological legacy that we read in Luke that goes back. And he's got the Holy Spirit as his legacy from heaven, which confirms the whole thing. So here, God's ultimate plan for the world comes together. In that. The only time when he was recognized, apart from afterwards, when it was written, you remember demons said, son of David? You remember when he was crucified, the first time he had a, had, had a crown? And the first time he was called the king of the Jews was while he was being crucified? He was never lifted up on earth Instituted, inaugurated the king, which is even though he was the king of all the ages. How humble is he? How humble is he to work his salvation in such a way? To get into our mess. So, if you look at it then, in retrospect, you see, they rejected God as king. God accepted the rejection. He saw the rebellion in their hearts, said, I, I, I love you so. I will accept your choice. You'll bear the consequences, but I will work a plan of redemption to the point where I will be your king again. I will reclaim my kingship by sending my son and human form in that lineage to become the actual king again so that in the flesh and in the heaven because you wanted it in the flesh and I am it in heaven I shall be king and he established his kingship he reclaimed it he redeemed that thing that they threw off by working with with their system all the way to the end I think it's a phenomenal God we serve And so in closing, I think just, it just blows my mind that the, the most glorious thing that God has done in history, Jesus Christ coming in the flesh to save us from our sin, that God decided not to break the lineage of the kings that Israel Israel said they wanted in rebellion to God, but, but, but he inhabited that thing that they did. The inhabitor of our mess, the redeemer of our narrative. What bad decisions have you made? What, what, what terrible sins have you committed that the rest of your life was actually built upon? What false starts, off roots, rebellious runnings away have you had? That you, you, often we want to make up for it. We should really not try to make up for it. We should accept God's forgiveness of it. And then be expected of him redeeming it. Because at the end of the day, your testimony of the way that you messed up is one of the most powerful things that you have. Is if you can show how God redeemed that thing. So don't run away from that. Allow God to make it beautiful. He doesn't throw it away. He makes he inhabits it like he did the Israelites 
decision. Sometimes I would speak to people and they would realize, oh man, I never heard from God whether I should study this thing. I never heard from God if I should work at this firm. I, I never heard from God if I should be here in Cape Town. I, 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 I'm, I did it for money. I did it because of worldly wisdom. I did it because, and you realize you have a moment where you say, oh, I didn't follow Jesus here and I wish I did. And you can think, oh, shucks, I have to just change everything right now. And I, and, and I messed up my life. I wasted it. And how, that, is, that is true, but God. That is true, but in any moment in your life, if you would turn to God and say, God, would you? He would say, I am already busy. And the more you would then seek him, you will see how he is being busy. And every time you see it and you realize that he's been busy while you didn't see it, you would fall to your knees and you would weep and you would say, God, I never knew you were this amazing. And I want to invite you to that. Where you don't feel a perpetual guilt for things that you've messed up, but you know that there is a redeemer that doesn't only forgive you, but makes that thing look like it was the very plan of God from the beginning. He can do that. He does do that, and Scripture shows that. So whether you have a child out of wedlock, or whether you're stuck in a company that you just want to be in for money, or whether your family line is so broken and full of sin, and you've picked up some of the same stuff, you feel you're starting with a massive deficit. I mean, the Scripture teaches us about a God who would have the son of David and Bathsheba be the next king of Israel. Now, I'm not going to go into that story, but I think all of you know that's ridiculous that he would do that, but he does that because he redeems our stuff. And that's an exciting way to look at him, our humble redeemer who doesn't come and say, I told you so. It just works at your redemption if you would allow him to. So, like I said, of course, there will be consequences in your life and, and your lineage, and you might bear consequences from the decisions others made before you, and those after you might bear consequences of what you have made, but those consequences are in the flesh, okay? And God can do something incredibly powerful with those things, and He wants to. So, Wherever you find yourself right now, know that he's working a redemption story. And if you would be willing to, you can start to see that, slot into that. And I want to ask you to, whatever your story is, to give that to him today. Not in the hope that it would disappear and that you'd never have to think about it again or that he would magically take you back six years, but that he would make it look like this is the best thing that could ever happen, even though you know it wasn't. That's our God. The worship team can come to the front. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you are our humble redeemer. The one who inhabits our mess. The holy God of the universe who has love in him, love enough to inhabit our mess and to work at it 
in a way that you don't even, you don't even require it be visible to everyone to see. Because you love us. I thank you and I ask that this revelation would bless our hearts. I thank you that it would minister grace unto us. I ask for that in Jesus' name. And I pray for every one of our narratives, every one of our false starts, every one of the lineages that's contaminated with sin and everything that we've done for the sake of money and pleasure and not for you, all those terrible things, God, I pray that out of everyone's heart, they would bring them to you. And I ask that you would start to show them the redemptive work that you are busy with. That we can partner with you. We praise you. We honor you. For your credible grace towards us. We're going to worship him. I want you to worship him as your redeemer. I want you to give your life, your narratives, your, your stuff to him. That you want him to redeem I trust that he would put faith in your heart that he will do that and that he is busy doing that. Let's all stand and let's all worship him.